Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. Hello, this is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. I want to welcome you to this latest PTJ podcast. Today, I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Amit Kumar. He's on faculty in the Department of Physical Therapy and Athletic Training at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. Welcome, Amit. Thank you, Alan, for having me in your show. Oh, I'm looking forward to our discussion. I'll do a little summary, and then we can talk about your study. The title is Effective Variation in Early Rehabilitation on Hospital Readmission After Hip Fracture. The authors used Medicare claims data from 2016 and 2017 in over 130,000 older adults who were admitted to the hospital, an acute hospital, for a hip fracture. And they looked at the association between the amount of physical and occupational therapy that these patients received during their acute hospital stay with risk-adjusted seven-day and 30-day all-cause hospital readmission after the hip fracture. I won't go through the study results. We can talk about those, Amit, but that's the basic uh, summary of what you guys did. It's a really interesting study. My first question is why did you focus on patients who had suffered a hip fracture? Why that group? And why did you focus on acute care rehabilitation services? Thank you, Alan. That's a very good question, and it's a good uh, icebreaking. So as you know, hip fractures are very common in older population, and their incidence is growing due to the aging population. In recent uh, report, we've found that one in three older adults dies within 12 months of hip fracture. And older adults have a five to eight times higher risk of dying within the first three months of hip fracture compared to those without a hip fracture. Approximately three to 400,000 hip fractures occurs annually in the US leading to high healthcare cost and societal burden. In addition to that, Hip fractures have catastrophic effect on older people causing high rates of physical disability, admission to long-term nursing homes, and hospital readmission. The prior studies have suggested that after hip fracture, issue related to hospitalization, surgery, or bed rest, immobility could put patient at a higher risk of frailty, pneumonia, and other complications, and that ultimately results in earlier death. As I said, hip fracture significantly impacts mobility and physical function also. Therefore, role of occupational therapy and physical therapists play critical roles and are essential after surgeries or non-operative management after hip fracture to prevent deconditioning or improving patient functional status. Even if the patient has not had a surgery, rehabilitation is necessary to begin moving as quick as possible to avoid severe complication of being prolonged bed rest. The prior research have suggested that early start of physical activity as soon as possible post-surgery or hip fracture management will reduce the likelihood of mortality. What we don't know yet 
is that variation in intensity and duration of hospital-based physical rehabilitation that will improve the hospital readmission or other patient outcomes. Despite clinical recommendation to provide these services, there is a marked variation in the delivery of post-acute rehabilitation services in other chronic conditions such as stroke. Understanding this variation in hospital-based rehab services after hip fracture and the association with outcome is very critical to fulfill the crucial gap in knowledge during acute settings. Prior research has also shown variation in the acute post-acute outcomes in patients with chronic condition by hospital and patient characteristics. However, there are no studies which have examined the utilization of hospital-based rehab services in patients with hip fracture and their impact on short-term outcomes such as hospital readmission in seven days and 30 days in large national representative sample. That's why we decided to start work on this area, like, you know, and this is a starting point again, Alan. Great, no, that's very helpful. You mentioned the variation in rehabilitation that these patients receive, and you talk about that in your article. And, and frankly, I was very surprised. The range spanned anywhere from eight to more than 98 minutes per day with a, a yeah. median, median of about 30 minutes per day. And as you say, it, it's, a, it's a standard clinical practice to receive rehabilitation. Given that, why do you think there was such wide variation in the amount of therapy received by these patients? In 2010 or 11, the Institute of Medicine came out with this report that post-acute care is one of the major cause of uh, variation in Medicare spending in the U.S. healthcare system. So that was a, like, you know, eye-opening for a lot of health service researchers which are working in the acute post-acute care services. So that was one of the motivation to do this study. But as you said, like, you know, this study also demonstrated a substantial variation in delivery of hospital-based rehab services and also shows significant association with hospital-based rehab services with the hospital readmission. Prior research in recent years has shown variation in acute care, which has substantial clinical implication on post-acute care and long-term outcomes in other medical and surgical conditions. So, so far, we don't know how this variation will impact long-term outcomes, such as residual disability or one-year mortality in hip fracture, if they don't receive adequate hospital-based rehabilitation services. I think the, one of the major cause of this variation, as you pointed out, this question is likely because most of the hospitals don't follow a clinical guidelines. One we can think, and the second, like those currently Center for Medicare, Medicaid services have not included hospital-based rehab services in their payment model, or also they have not included as, as one of the quality measure. And additionally, as I think you know that the CMS have not even included patient functional status as one of the quality measure which for which the patient needs hospital-based rehabilitation services. So all these three factors might be causing the variation in the hospital-based rehabilitation practices. Yeah, well, you're making really good points, and I hope CMS is paying attention. Let's talk about how you measured rehabilitation services. And, and I, I have to admit, you, you touched on a sore point for me. You used revenue-centered codes 
and you looked at number of units of physical and occupational therapy, but we know nothing about the content of the therapy received. So let me ask, number one, why did you choose to measure it that way? And were you concerned about not being able to look at the content of the services provided? Yes, uh, I agree with you, Alan. You know, that's the lack of granularity in defining the therapy dose and component was one of the limitations of this study. And I was also not convinced, but in the absence of that information in Medicare claims data, we decided to use the revenue center codes for evaluation and number of units for PT and OT services delivered in the acute hospital. However, we tried our best to make these findings clinically relevant and generalizable. This was the first study on hospital-based rehabilitation services using Medicare claims data for all U.S. acute hospital patient population. So first, we wanted to explore the pattern of rehabilitation services and how it impacts the short-term outcomes within the 7 and 30 days. As you know, the hospital claims files coming from the Medicare include information on revenue center codes and units for evaluation and therapy services during hospital stay. And we assigned 15 minutes for each therapy units and 30 minutes for each evaluation unit at the time of admission. And we use this cut of values based on the feedback from clinicians and previously validated research using claims data and stroke patient by Janet Freeberger and her colleague. So back to your question, we will be interested in future studies examining different components of rehabilitation services and developing more valid clinical cutoff values for therapy and condition-specific in claims data. That will not only improve this future study, it will also help other health service researchers to improve rigorness in health service researchers using claims data. Well, as you point out, that's one of the, the limitations in using secondary data, you can only use what's available in the Medicare claims data. Yes, that's one of the pain of using claims data. Yeah. One of the strengths in your study is that unlike a lot of previous work, you did try to co-vary on uh, severity of physical function and frailty. Could you talk a little bit for our listeners about how you did that using the claims data? Yes, Alan, that's uh, one of my dissertation topic when I was doing my PhD with Dr. Autumn Backer at UTMB. And so I'm happy to talk as long as you can. But uh, I will summarize uh, uh, in a few sentences. One of the important challenges in health service research using Medicare hospital claims data is the lack of a standardized measure for functional status. And this missing information on function or frailty can have residual confounding effect in studies examining the efficacy of treatment on health outcome. So we try to address this limitation by applying three different approaches. As we saw that we use validated functional comorbidity index to reflect some level of functional impairment due to comorbid condition, but the functional comorbidity index is not strongly associated with functional status so we further computed claim-based frailty risk score using the algorithm published by Gilbert and colleagues in Lancet. And that has been validated in claims data and is strongly associated with physical disability. Secondly, we have used information on prior hospitalization in the last six months and ICU stay and hospital-related complications. 
which might capture some level of patient risk severity. Third, we use the types of hip fracture and hip fracture management to capture some level of hip fracture severity. Finally, we use the post-acute care discharge dispositions such as skilled nursing facility, inpatient rehab facility, and home health, which gives a proxy measure on functional impairment and post-acute care needs. So again, back to the point, we don't have that functional status in a claims data. Recently, the CMS has started collecting the ICD-10 codes for the frailty measures, but still there are a lot of missing information on frailty measures in the claims data. Hopefully in the next few years, it will get better. So, and also in the future, it will be helpful if Center for Medicare Medicaid Services will include activity measure for post-acute care, AMPEX six clicks scores as a part of hospital reporting quality measure. And as you know, MPEG-6 clicks have been validated and demonstrated a good prediction for physical impairment, post-acute care utilization, and hospital readmission as well. So we are hoping that CMS will include MPEG-6 point click score in one of the quality measure. Well, I, I think you did a really, a very fine job given the limitations in the data you had available. And it's a critical step in understanding your, your findings. And so let's talk about the, the main findings. You reported um, that the average seven-day and 30-day readmission rates were 3.1% and 9.5% respectively. And these rates were associated with the amount of rehabilitation services these patients receive. Could you talk briefly about the strength of that association and how clinically and policy relevant that strength was. So as uh, as you said, like, you know, our result demonstrate a higher dose of rehabilitation were significantly associated with uh, lower odds of hospital readmission compared to the low dose of rehabilitation. And it almost like if your patient is getting higher dose of rehabilitation, reduces the risk of hospital readmission by 10 to 15% within the seven days and 30 days. The finding of these studies are clinically and policy relevant for the following reasons. First, the study has used 100% Medicare data, large sample nationally representative, allowing the generalization of this finding. External validity and generalizability of findings have been common limitation in previous studies in area of physical rehabilitation research. Secondly, we use analytical met, advanced analytical method for multi-level modeling to account for variation in rehabilitation services attributed by patient, facility, and regional level factors, which makes our findings more clinically relevant and precise Third, the evidence from a study is significant to clinicians and hospital administrators, uh, especially in the era of value-based payment system, with the increasing popularity of value-based payment system, and as you know, implementation of hospital re readmission reduction program. The length of stay during acute hospitalization has been shortened. So it's really critical to maximize the rehabilitation services during that acute state. 
Also, several value-based care initiatives are implemented. Healthcare providers are under pressure to improve the discharge planning process and rapid transition to appropriate and less resource-intense post-acute care settings, such as home with the home healthcare. In that scenario, what I think role of early consultation with physical therapy, even the evaluation will help in choosing post-acute care more wisely based on patient functional and rehabilitation needs rather than market-driven discharge disposition, which is current practice in discharge destination process. Okay, fair enough. As you point out, one of the strengths of your study is that you were able to control for a large number of both hospital-level and individual-level covariates, and, and that does make the associations that you have reported um, more meaningful. Can you talk briefly about what were the most uh, important hospital level covariates that were associated with readmission? I think listeners might find that quite interesting. Yes, I think that's one of the strength of a study. In And we did control for hospital level covariates as past studies have shown variation in medical care attributed to hospital-level factors, such as hospital size, minority-serving hospitals, or profit status. In this study, we found that hospitals located in urban areas, nonprofit hospitals, teaching hospitals, and safety net hospitals were significantly associated with the 30 days hospital readmission rates. And in which, in which way were they associated, Amit? Oh, um, they were like, you know, those hospitals in urban areas, nonprofit hospitals, teaching hospitals, and safety net hospitals have higher risk of hospital readmission within the 30 days. Were you surprised by that finding? No, I think these are consistent with the previous studies, but I was surprised with the urban areas, like, you know, so why hospitals in urban areas have higher risk of 30 days hospital readmission compared to rural areas? That was interesting and surprising to me as well. Yeah. And how about the individual level covariates? Which ones were most strongly associated with readmission? Yeah, so like, you know, we included like, you know, good number of patient level factors based on, again, literature and clinical inputs. And we found that length of hospital stay, uh, intense stay in intensive care unit, and also functional comorbidity index and higher frailty scores were associated with higher hospital readmission rates. Along with that, being a male, Black race and dually enrolled in Medicare Medicaid, which is a kind of proxy for low socioeconomic status, were associated with higher hospital readmission. How about social support? Did you have any measures of like if people lived alone or had other indicators of social support at home? No, unfortunately, we don't have that information in the hospital claims data. We do have information in post-acute assessment file, but uh, we have not included those information in this study. Uh, although we included some of the community level social support variables in the study, 
in our addition sensitivity analysis. And we found like not a significant, but we found some pattern which are like, you know, associated with higher hospital readmission rates, such as patient living in a below poverty line area. Like, it was interesting to me that uh, over 85% of these patients were discharged to either a SNF or an inpatient uh, rehab facility. Were you able to investigate whether or not readmission was related to going to either of these two facilities? Yes, Alan, this is the most important question from policy point of view. As I said, like, you know, after the Institute of Medicine report, which found that like post-acute care is one of the leading cause of higher U.S. healthcare spending. In this study, we use indicators for the selected post-acute care setting that partially account for the potential risk for hospital readmission. But our analysis did not directly account for selection bias and did not attempt to tease out the mediating effect of post-acute care destination on hospital-based rehab services and hospital readmission. However, in our unadjusted analysis, in sensitivity analysis, we found that patient discharge to skilled nursing facilities have a higher risk of hospital readmission compared to inpatient rehab facilities and home health. Also in our additional analysis, we found that patients who received treatment in poor quality skilled nursing facilities had 13% higher risk of rehospitalization compared to patients receiving a treatment in high quality rating skilled nursing facilities. So again, going back to your point, post-acute care settings has impact on hospital readmission. But future research is recommended to evaluate the impact of continuity of post-acute care setting on readmission and long-term outcomes. And it is also important to account for selection bias and availability of post-acute care settings in that market. Well, Dr. Kumar, I want to congratulate you and your colleagues on a, a really important and interesting study. And I really appreciate your taking the time to talk about it uh, with me today. I look forward to seeing your future research in this and, and related areas. So thank you. Thank you, Alan, for having me in your podcast. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.